today we'll be speaking about the second part of Anapanasati, which we call the second tetrad, the second group of four steps, which includes steps five, six, seven, and eight. In this tetrad, the second tetrad, we will be dealing with the feelings. And so we start with the feelings of piti, satisfaction or contentment, and sukha, happiness or joy, that we mentioned yesterday. These will be used as the object for the meditation practice in this, in this, this tetrad of Anapanasati in order to study and penetrate further into the reality of the human condition. So, in this stage of the practice, we use piti, contentment, and sukha, joy, or happiness. These are associated with the previous step, step four, having to do with calming the body conditioner. Yesterday we discussed how as the body conditioner, the breathing is calmed, the body calms and the mind calms, and there will arise the feelings of piti, contentment and sukha, happiness or joy. And so what we do at this point of this practice is related to what has come previously. And then maybe now you will realize why yesterday you were told that in step four it is necessary to develop enough concentration to be able to clearly note these feelings of piti and sukha. Once we can note these clearly, then these feelings can be used as the next object of study. And that is what will be happening in the second tetrad of Anapanasati. In the calming of the body conditioner, which was the object of the meditation practice in step four, if this calming of the, the breathing is carried out fully, then there will arise one-pointedness of mind. And when there is this one-pointedness, then the mind will have achieved what is called the first chana, the first absorption. And in this, there are the five factors of chana, of which the third is piti and the fourth is sukha. When piti and sukha are factors of jhana, then they are very clear and apparent. And they will be, they are very easy to, to be taken as objects of further practice. And so this is the value of being able to develop the, the degree of concentration that is known as chana, 
But even if that is not possible, as we have said, Bidi and Sukha will still can still be present, even if the first chana has not been attained. And so these slightly less strong or clear levels of piti, contentment, and sukha, joy, bliss, can still be used in the following steps of anapanasati meditation practice. Now we need to discuss a little bit about what piti and sukha are so that you'll recognize them. Piti we translate as contentment or satisfaction. In the calming of the body conditioner, the breathing, that takes place in step four, or actually that takes place all along, but that is the object of the meditation practice in step four. As this calming of the breathing continues and becomes more and more successful, the feeling of satisfaction or contentment will arise, being satisfied with the mind's ability to calm the breathing. Success in step four leads to satisfaction. When there is satisfaction or contentment, which we call PT, then Sukha, happiness or joy, will automatically follow. We don't have to wonder about this because as soon as there is piti, the contentment, then happiness or joy will immediately come out of that, that piti or contentment. And so in this way, through step four, the calming of the breathing, these two feelings of contentment and happiness will arise. Let me note for some of you who have read about these kind of things before that often the word piti is translated as rapture, but here we, we translate it as contentment or satisfaction. And the word sukha is often translated as bliss, but we prefer the more everyday words happiness and joy. So these two feelings arise out of successfully completing step four. Now we need to be clear that even though we use the word piti, we just use one word, there are actually a few different levels of PT. And so in English, this is one reason why we can use different words, such as satisfaction, contentment, and rapture. To these, these different English translations can help to point out the different levels of PT. There are weaker and stronger levels of PT which can be experienced through the meditation practice. Now the 
the most important quality of PT is that it is very energetic, exciting, even to the point of being agitating. Low level of PT, which we might call satisfaction, is one degree of, of energy and excitement. Contentment, we might say, is a bit stronger than that and is even more agitating for the mind. And then rapture can be very, very energetic and disturbing. So these different levels of PT, these different strengths of this feeling, carry with them higher degrees of excitement and, and energy. And in seeing this, in experiencing this, we'll learn that PT is not very relaxing. It's not so calming relative to sukha. The main difference now between PT, which we've just described as, as energetic and exciting, to the degree of being agitating, and sukha is that sukha is very calm and tranquil. It's the happiness that is very peaceful and tranquil and is quite different than the excitement and agitation of PT. So PT has a variety of levels, but in all of those levels there is the, the quality of excitement, whereas sukha, joy or happiness, is much more refined, subtle, and tranquil. Now let's talk about practicing in regards to these feelings. So now we're at step five, step five of Anapanasati. In step five, we take the piti that contentment or satisfaction that arose out of step four. And we take that PT as the object of meditation. In step five now we have a new object of meditation. Please realize this. Each step has a different object of meditation. So now the mind takes PT as its object and fully experiences this piti. It feels this piti completely, experiences it fully in all the different aspects and different levels of this piti until the mind is absolutely familiar with this feeling of piti. So this is step five and the mind has a new object of its attention and something new to study. In step one, the object was the long breathing. In step two, the short breathing. In step three, all bodies. In step four, the calming of the breathing. So each step has a different object. Now, in step five, which is the first step of the second tetrad, there is a new object, 
this feeling which we call PT. The mind focuses upon and fully experiences the feeling of PT every time there is an in-breath and every time there is an out-breath. While aware of breathing in and breathing out, the feeling of PT is taken as the meditation object. To summarize that, we can say that while breathing, we experience this thing which we call PT every time that we breathe in and breathe out. This step five, there is while breathing, we fully experience this feeling of contentment and or satisfaction with each in-breath and each out-breath. Both of these are done together. The mind focuses and meditates upon that feeling. It experiences that feeling of PD while this awareness of breathing in and out is also in the mind. So this is step five. When this step is, is being practiced, there is a very pleasant feeling of well-being. The, the, the body and mind have a very strong sense of well-being. And this is also a very enjoyable step to practice. PT has that characteristic. So please be interested in doing the necessary practice to arrive at step five because it is very enjoyable. Now, while we are experiencing the feeling of PT, at the same time there must be the studying of this feeling. So it's not just the experience, and for sure there's no getting lost or indulging in that experience, but there must be the studying of that feeling of PT as well, so that this, so that knowledge is also being developed in this step. And so through studying PT at the same time that we experience it in the mind, because the mind is the only place where this can be experienced. While this is being experienced, there's also the studying of the feeling itself. How heavy is it? Or how light? How strong or how weak? How coarse or how subtle? These different aspects of PT must be studied at the same time that it is experienced while breathing in and breathing out. So this is the kind of knowledge which also must be developed through the practice of step five. Now of the various things to study while experiencing rapture, satisfaction or contentment is the influence that these have upon the mind itself. Remember back in steps one and two, in studying the long and short breathing, 
we also had to see how these things influenced the body. Now, the same kind of thing must be studied as in seeing how it is that piti influences or conditions the mind. These different, this feeling in its different manifestations will have a variety of influences upon the mind and we have to learn about these. So, when PT is strong, what influence does that exert upon the mind? When PT is weak, what kind of influence does that have? When PT is very energetic, what sort of effect does that have upon the mind? PT is when it is coarse or when it is very subtle, what sort of influences do these different types of PT have upon the mind? When it is strong or weak, coarse or fine, or whatever. Learn about these different influences while experiencing that PT within the mind and breathing in and breathing out. We can summarize the influences of PT by saying that the various forms of PT stimulate the mind. This feeling stimulates, excites the mind in a way that is quite different, which is an effect quite different than the effect of sukha, which will be studied after the studying of PT. So in step five, the nature, the facts or truths or secrets of PT are taken in this fifth lesson of Anapanasati, experiencing PT while breathing in and breathing out. Now we come to the second step of this second tetrad, which is step number six overall. Step five was about experiencing piti. Step six, which we are talking about now, is about experiencing sukha, happiness or joy. As the, the exciting, strong feeling of piti relaxes, calms down and fades away, there will remain the feeling of sukha. And so we can study and experience sukha as a fruit or result of piti, as we described earlier, that sukha arises out of the feeling of piti. But since it's much more calm and subtle than piti, when piti is present, it is, we are not aware of sukha. But once piti relaxes and fades away, then we can experience sukha. And then in step six, we focus upon and specifically take this sukha as our object of the meditation practice while breathing in and breathing out. So here we experience the taste or flavor of sukha and we will find that it is much more peaceful and tranquil 
than the feeling of of piti sukha joy is much more relaxing so now in step 6 the same basic procedure is followed as in steps 5 with piti and steps 1 and 2 with the long and short breathing so now we need to study or experience what we study the feeling of sukha while it is being experienced within the mind what is its its heaviness like or how light is it how heavy its coarseness or subtleness how coarse is it how subtle is it does it change are these relative terms or whatever studying these things until it is experienced most imp- and then in doing so we begin to become familiar with the taste of this feeling it's another way of describing this is that we drink the flavor of sukha the mind drinks the flavor of sukha while breathing in and breathing out this is what is taking place this is how we practice this is what is practiced in step 6 of anapanasati so at this time we can we become clear of the the influences of this feeling for instance when the feeling of piti is give is having its influence upon the body what state is the body in when this feeling when piti occurs is the body peaceful or coarse and when the feeling of sukha appears and has it and is able to influence the body what kind of influence is that we'll see that pt tends to excite and stimulate the body to agitate the body whereas sukha calms and relaxes the body and then we can see that these influences of pt and sukha respectively also affect the mind and so we'll see that pt in the same way that it stimulates the body it will also stimulate and disturb the mind whereas sukha as it calms and relaxes the body will also pacify and relax and calm the mind so this is an opportunity now to see these differing influences of the two feelings piti and sukha we do this one at a time first we experience piti and then later we work with sukha but in doing so one at a time we will also become aware of the differences between the two so to summarize this these two feelings of piti and sukha have an influence upon the breathing one will stimulate and agitate or let's say excite the breathing while the other 
calms the breathing. And with the body, one of these feelings will excite the body while the other one relaxes it. And then this influence continues to the mind. And so one feeling will excite the mind while the other one will help the mind to become tranquil. When you can catch or grab or seize this distinction through your own experience of it, not intellectually, but through having experienced it and known and know what you experienced, then you will have met success in step six. If you're not really aware of this, distinct, the difference between the two feelings, then you need to continue working on them until the difference is absolutely clear. In practicing step six, there may often be the problem arising that piti will interfere. Piti, remember, is a much stronger and coarser feeling than sukha. So if PT interferes, it will be much more difficult to experience sukha. So one has to develop the ability to maintain that feeling of sukha and prevent the more agitating or the agitating and exciting feeling of PT from coming in and interfering. Whenever it interferes, there will be no opportunity to experience sukha because piti will completely obscure and cover up the more subtle and relaxed feeling of sukha. So to practice step six, the mind has to develop the ability to be, be full of in the way that when we, we drink enough water to fill our stomach, we are full of it. Not so much that we're bloated, but enough so there is that, that calm feeling of having satisfied the thirst. So being, being full of, of joy, of sukha, and being able to maintain that feeling without allowing any other feeling, including the feeling of piti, to interfere is very necessary in completing step six. If you can't, if the mind can't keep this feeling of sukha within it, then it will be very difficult to practice this sixth step of anapanasati. So that was steps five and six. Now we come to step seven, the third one of this second Tetrad. In this step now, we need to experience the mind conditioner, the jitta sankhara. Remember yesterday we discussed the gaya sankhara and the various meanings of the word sankhara. In step yesterday we were talking about the body conditioner. Now we need to talk about the mind conditioner. The word jitta 
includes what we mean by mind and also the meaning of heart or we could also use the word consciousness so this is the jitta and it is conditioned by the things we call the vedana piti and sukha are vedana and as in steps five and six we learn to be aware of the influence that these vedana have upon the jitta, the mind. And so if we have studied this thoroughly in steps five and six, then step seven will be very easy because the thing to do in step seven is to experience this conditioning of the mind to see absolutely clearly and without any doubt that these feelings of piti and sukha condition the jitta, condition the mind. Or to say that these vetana are mind conditioners. This will be very easy to do if we have clearly noticed the influence of these two feelings when we studied those feelings particularly, which was in steps five and six. So now in step seven, just to be clear about, to be absolutely certain about the fact that these feelings condition the mind. So now when we're studying this condition, this of conditioning the mind, this symptom of conditioning the mind, we'll see that PT conditions the mind in a coarse way. Since PT is exciting and stimulating, it will have a coarse effect upon the mind and will condition coarse or exciting thoughts. This, is, this will be noticed that the feeling of PT leads to a certain kind of thoughts or certain kinds of thoughts which tend to be coarse which is in line with the feeling piti. On the other hand, sukha, which is the calm, the much calmer and refined feeling, this will condition different kinds of thoughts, thoughts which will also be calm and tranquil. So in seeing the different things or thoughts that are conditioned by these feelings is what is meant by the experiencing of the mind conditioner, mind conditioners. Now, when piti is very coarse and strong, it may actually cause the body to shake. And if it is, if piti is very powerful, the body might even bounce up and down. This this feeling can be so powerful and stimulating that it can do all kinds of things to the body. Needless to say, when the body is shaking or bouncing up and down, it will be very, very difficult for subtle and peaceful thoughts to arise in the mind. So this is the effect of piti. On the other hand, sukha is very calming, soothing, and relaxing and so it will the body will be 
very tranquil. And in such a case, it is very easy to do very subtle and profound, detailed thinking because there is not this excited disturbance of piti, whether in the body or in the mind. These feelings are mental things, but as we've learned, the body and the mind are related. So these, these feelings also have an influence upon the body. This you will learn as you continue with the meditation practice. So, learning these various things about the feelings, and in particular, learning how these feelings condition the mind. This is what is meant by experiencing, knowing, fully comprehending the mind conditioners. This, this state or truth that the feelings condition the mind is the important fact or secret of nature which is the object of step seven of the practice of anapanasati. Now in studying these these two feelings and the influence they have on the mind, we'll learn that in one way they are enemies of each other because when, as we described, the strong feeling of piti will totally obscure the feeling of sukha, while on the other hand, we cannot even be aware of sukha unless piti fades away. So we will be aware of this, this fact. Another important fact which must be, which will be realized is that these two are, well, it's, let me put it this, we'll also realize that sukha cannot arise without piti, that sukha is dependent upon piti. As we described, first there is the successful completion of something, some activity, whether physical or mental, worldly or spiritual, is done with a, re with a certain degree of success. And then the mind will be satisfied or content with that success. This satisfaction is the excited, stimulating feeling of PT. When there is PT, then there will also be Sukha. It will arise automatically out of the PT. But we won't be able to notice it because that's still more powerful and exciting feeling of piti will obscure the sukha. So this way, but then once that piti calms down, when the mind gets tired of all that agitation and excitement, then there will be the soothing and tranquil feeling of sukha. And in, in experiencing this, then we will see that sukha is dependent upon the piti. And we'll see about, we'll learn much about this interrelationship between the two. In learning about this, then we will also have a very useful tool in calming the mind. As we see these, the difference between the influences of these feelings 
we will have an even more subtle tool than was developed earlier for relaxing, soothing, and calming the mind. We can summarize all this by saying that piti is an enemy of vipassana, whereas sukha is a friend or supporter of vipassana. Many of you have heard this word vipassana. It's become quite a popular buzzword in meditation circles, though many people don't really know what it means. Vipassana means insight into the truths of impermanence, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and anatta, not-self. Vipassana is this direct seeing into these fundamental characteristics of existence, and it is not properly applied to any one specific meditation technique, but it is more proper, but it is properly used in relationship to this activity of mind where truth is seen. For vipassana to occur, the mind must be very refined. It must be on a very subtle level. And to piti will interfere with the necessary refinement of mind. When there, there is piti and the mind is agitated and restless or stirred up, stimulated by this feeling of piti, then there will be no vipassana. It will be impossible to see the truth of things, at least in any profound or detailed way. And so this is why we say that piti is an enemy of vipassana. However, sukha, because it is soothing and calming, it will help and support the mind in being in a very refined, clear, relaxed, peaceful state, which is very appropriate for the arising of insight into the true nature of things. So this is another very, very significant difference between piti and sukha. And so this underlines the importance of being able to control these two feelings. If we can't control these feelings, then it will be very difficult to go about vipassana in any systematic or certain way. But by controlling piti so it doesn't interfere, so it doesn't cloud up, disturb, and agitate the mind, and by maintaining sukha because of the mind's control over this, the feeling of sukha, then vipassana can take place. This is a, another very important secret to be learned. So we can summarize the practice of these steps that we've been talking about so far today as things which condition the mind, the things that we call the vetana or vetana, the feelings condition the mind. Piti conditions the mind in a coarse way and sukha in a fine way. And so these are the mind conditioners. This is the important fact that needs to be learned.
through the meditation practice, not through intellectual speculation. When we meet up with this truth, when this truth is discovered within the mental experience, in the experience of these things with, as it happens within the mind, then this truth is noted, is focused upon, is taken as the object of the meditation practice. Step seven is to use this truth which has been discovered that the Vedana are mind conditioners. Take this as the object every time that there is an in-breath and every time there is an out-breath. Experiencing the mind conditioners while breathing in and breathing out. This is step seven. Discover this truth and then focus upon it. Take it as the seventh object in this meditation practice. Step eight now is called calming the mind conditioners. What we've been talking about today parallels what happened in the first four steps that have to do with the gaya, the breathing in the body. And so now we're doing the same thing that happened in step four in relation to the breath in the body, but now it's the feelings in the mind. Step eight is calming the mind conditioner, the feelings. This is what is taking place. This calming is taking place. And as it happens, the mind takes that calming as the meditation object, the eighth meditation object of this practice while breathing in and breathing out. Let me add that each of these objects is taken up one at a time. We're not saying that at this point you should be juggling eight objects in your mind at once. It's one at a time, not all at once. So in the practice of step eight, there are two ways of calming the mind conditioners. In, in step eight, the mind conditioners or the feelings piti and sukha need to grow weaker and weaker so that their influence upon the mind, their ability to condition the mind becomes less and less to the point where these feelings may fade away so that they have no influence upon the mind. So their influence is stopped. In doing this, in calming them, to the point that they might stop. There are two basic techniques that can be used. One technique uses samadhi or concentration and the second technique uses banya or wisdom. So at this point you need to know that there are two basic ways of calming the mind conditioners. So when we say that the mind conditioners can be calmed by using samadhi or concentration, this can be done as follows. One is by 
using a higher level of concentration. We've talked briefly about the chana, and we mentioned the first chana, which has five factors. The second chana only has three factors, and piti and sukha in one-pointedness are these three factors. But the third chana is an, an even higher level of concentration in which piti no longer exists. The concentration is too strong for piti to exist. Or the other way of saying it is piti must be dropped because it interferes with that level of concentration. So one way of calming the feeling of piti is to use a higher level of concentration. However, this may be quite difficult and we haven't been training in doing this specifically. It's possible to go even to higher levels of concentration so that sukha is calmed as well. However, as we've pointed out, sukha can be a support of the vipassana practice. And so it's not necessary to get rid of the sukha, but it is very important to drop the piti. And one way of doing this is to develop an even higher level of concentration where the piti will not exist. But for those of us who aren't able to develop such a refined level of concentration, another another method exists. And this is to take a different object of the mind, to use something else so that concentration on something else will prevent that PT from existing or from disturbing the mind. And once again, it may not, it's not necessary to get rid of the sukha. So there are these different ways of using concentration to calm the mind conditioners, specifically the feeling of piti. Or another very special trick for getting rid of piti is to utilize the highest and most profound meaning of the word samati. We discussed ekakata, one-pointedness, or when the mind has one pinnacle, every, the whole mind is focused on one pinnacle or peak. That is ekakata. And the highest meaning of samati is the mind that is a kakata with nipana as its object. Or we can say, when the mind is completely gathered together on one pinnacle, and that pinnacle which it takes as its object is spiritual tranquility, the highest and most profound meaning of the word tranquility or peace. This is Nibbana. When the mind has this one-pointedness focused on, on spiritual tranquility, then it sees how disturbing the piti is 
and then it will just, this kind of concentration will just clear away the stimulation and disturbance of PT. This is a third trick for using samadhi to get rid of PT. Now, the way to use wisdom, banya, to calm or get rid of this excitement of PT is to study that PT and see that it is just an illusion or a delusion. To just study it with wisdom and see it for what it really is. And then seeing its illusion will be will become tired of it and bored with it. And then we'll be able to get rid of it in that way. Or we can study it to see what causes it. What are the factors that support and maintain this feeling of PT? And in, and in seeing this and seeing that PT is so disturbing, then we can let go of those causes, those supporting factors, and then the PT will go away. Another way of seeing this is to study the PT until we've seen its atsata and its atinawa. Atsata means its charm, the charming, attractive quality of it, which is like a bait. And the atinawa is the penalty, which is like a hook. When we go fishing, we take a, a pointed, dangerous hook and hide it in something tasty that will attract the fish. Piti has both that tasty something which is attractive to us fish, and it also has that hook inside which catches us. If we study the piti until seeing both the charm, the atata, and the penalty or the hook, the atinawa, then the mind will have the ability to let go of that PT because the mind will no longer be diluted by it. It will no longer be wrapped up in that feeling. So this is how to use banya, wisdom, to get rid of PT. These two words which we just mentioned, atsata and atinawa, are very, very useful an important word, so you would do well to memorize them, even in the Pali, atsata, atsata, A-S-S-A-T-A, and atinawa, atinawa, A-D-H-I-N-A-V-A, atsata and atinawa. If we understand these, the meaning of these words fully, this will give us a very powerful tool in freeing the mind from being deceived by worldly conditions. Atsata is the attractiveness, the charming, lovely, beautiful quality of things, of, of each thing that draws the mind towards it. The attractiveness, the charm of things. And Atinawa is the the evil, wicked, punishing, painful quality within all things. 
and so or the hook that catches us on which we dangle and jiggle in torment. So Atata and Atinawa come together. They're a pair that exists in all worldly conditions. When we're caught up in the Atata and Atinawa of things, then the mind is deceived and is not free. But through wisdom and understanding the Atata and Atinawa, the attractiveness and the, the penalty, the punishment of things, then the mind can free itself of that deception. Typically, the mind will indulge in positive foolishness, where it sees only the positive, charming, attracting, attractive qualities of something. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it marvelous? This is positive foolishness. Or the mind will get lost in negative foolishness. Isn't it terrible? Isn't it ugly? Isn't it horrible? Seeing one or the other aspect of something attaching to either the atsata or the atinawa. But when both qualities are seen together and understood, then there is this very valuable tool for being, for freeing the mind from indulging in and getting caught up and deluded by things. This, or it can be seen, this is a very valuable way of protecting the mind. The mind can protect itself from things, from being caught up and deluded by things, by seeing everything as, by seeing the atinawa and the, or the atata and the atinawa of things. So you would do very well to understand the meanings of these words and apply them in your daily life. So at this point, the mind now has control over the feelings, has developed the kind of mastery and self-control where the feelings no longer have the power to drag the mind this way or that way. The mind has the control over these feelings so that it is not a slave to them. The pleasant and happy feelings of piti and sukha now long, no longer have the, condi- the ability to condition the mind in, in different ways. The mind has control over this situation. Now, so far we've only talked about these pleasant feelings of piti and sukha because these are the kind of feelings that arise when deep, when the mind relaxes and becomes peaceful. And so they're the kind of feelings that are available to us to be used in the practice of anapanasati. However, we need to be aware, if we aren't already, that there are also unpleasant feelings, feelings of dukkha, which we call tukkha-vetana. Unpleasant feelings also happen in life feelings that are not satisfying, which are unhappy, painful. These kind of feelings also have a tremendous influence upon the mind. And we can see how much our life is conditioned by running away or trying to avoid these unpleasant feelings. 
The mind is, is also conditioned by these unpleasant feelings. In learning to be free of the pleasant feelings, which are much more attractive, then also the mind can be free of the unpleasant feelings if step eight of Anapanasati is practiced fully. So taking the fact or the truth of the calming of these feelings, taking the fact that the mind is free of the conditioning of the feelings as the object of the meditation while breathing in and breathing out is the the final meaning of the practice of step eight. So in step eight, we take the fact or truth of calming the feelings or of the feelings having been calmed. The mind is free of them now. The mind is no longer conditioned by the mind conditioners. Take this fact as the object of meditation while breathing in and breathing out. When this can be done, then you will have met with success in the practice of step eight of Anapanasati. And step eight completes the fourth tetrad. Or, I'm sorry, the second tetrad. There's one last point to consider today, which is the question, why do we include this tetrad based on the feelings? Why is it necessary to work with the feelings in this practice of anapanasati? You may ask, especially if you know some meditation theory, why do we, why don't we just go on to vipassana and get to nipana as quick as possible? Why spend this time on the vetana? The reason for this is because the Vedana, the feelings, have such a profound and powerful influence on our lives. The, the delicious flavors of things or the unpleasant flavors of experiences are pulling the mind in all sorts of directions. The mind is often dominated by these feelings and so life is under the control of the feelings and we are enslaved to these pleasant and unpleasant feelings. Because of this slavery, the world has become taken over by materialism. Through materialism, the different objects which lead to either pleasant feelings or unpleasant feelings tend to take over our lives. We spend our lives in pursuit of the objects which lead to pleasant feelings and we spend our, day, our lives running away from the objects which cause unpleasant feelings. And so our life is just a slavery to these material objects and this is materialism. Because of materialism there is all kinds of strife, conflict and war in the world fighting over the objects which bring pleasures and trying to dump all the nasty stuff such as pollution on the third world or the people who are too weak. So our, our world is full of these wars and strife 
because of this materialistic attitude which is all based in the feelings because we have no control over these feelings. The lack of peace in the world is because of our inability to control the feelings. So at this point we don't have to speak about Nibbana. Let's just talk about living in this world in a decent way. If we want to live on this planet in peace within ourselves and with others, then we need to be able to control the feelings. This ability to, to free ourselves so we are no longer enslaved to the pleasant and unpleasant feelings is absolutely necessary if we are to live as decent human beings. And so this is the reason that this, these steps regarding the feelings have been included in the practice of anapanasati. This is why they're so very important. The, prog the progress towards Nibbana continues as we work on these feelings, but in learning to, be, to get control over them, we develop the ability to live in this world in a way that is conducive to peace and tranquility. So this is why we need to work on the feelings in order to bring peace into our own lives and into the world we live in. So time, the appropriate amount of time has been used up and we request that today's talk end on this, this note. Thank you.